want to say hi. My name's Tim. I'm on staff here. I get to teach uh, somewhat regularly, and we are in a series of teachings right now called Life on Mission, and we're going to be spending this fall talking about what is God's mission, what is God up to in this world, kind of actively seeking out, and uh, how does he invite us to be part of that? And then nuts and bolts, what does it look like for us to part- join him in that, this, this big purpose that he's up to? How do, how do we join him in that? And so that's kind of where we're headed uh, this month and next month at Ilchrist. Uh, but to begin this morning, kind of to, to get into the topic, I want to begin with a question. And reflecting on your own life, your own heart, what would you say drives you? You as an individual, what, what motivates you? What, what excites you? What do you love to talk about? What do you get in a conversation with and you just, you could go on and on and on about it. Or what, get, what, is there something that makes you angry that you just, it fires you up. It's like this energy inside you. The, the, the things you do in this world, what, what, if you stepped, what, if you stepped back and said, what's really motivating? What's kind of the driving force of my story? What would you say, what drives you? I, uh, so I was 15 and my mom was going to the grocery and I went to help her on her grocery errand. Because as a 15-year-old, I would do anything to be transported somewhere. So this was how I paid grocery trip. And then I get to be dropped off somewhere. So go to the grocery with her. And we go through the grocery. And uh, this grocery store, I remember as a kid, a lot of grocery stores did this. They, almost every time, somebody would help you out to the car with your bags. And they'd put them in the car for you. Um, and so we're, we're, uh, we're heading back to the car. And there's this guy helping us to the car. I don't know, looking back, I don't know if I looked unable or unwilling to perform this task, why they felt they needed to send to help her along. But, they, you know, so there's this, this uh, 18-year-old guy um, uh, helping my mom out to the car. And my mom's asking him some questions, and he's, he's kind of talking away. And um, he, uh, he's talking about how much he doesn't like the management at the grocery store. And they don't give good breaks, and they don't pay enough, and he's tired of working there. And I'm imagining, like, at their weekly pep meeting, that's not the kind of conversation they're encouraging to have with customers. I'm, yeah. So this is what they're talking about. And we get back to the car, and he's putting stuff in the, in the, in the back of the van. And so I, I go jump in the, the passenger seat. And um, they continue talking, my mom and this subversive grocery store worker, and the conversation's going on. And looking back, I actually have a lot of memories of waiting for my mom to finish conversations. It's like this major childhood motif, as I reflect. But, um, so I'm sitting in the car, and then um, they wrap it up, and uh, my mom gets in the driver's seat, and I, and I'm, and I just, where did that come from? How, and I said, how did you get him to talk about all that? And uh, she said, uh, and I, I still remember, it, it was something along the lines of, everybody has something that they're dying to talk about. You just have to find it. Everybody has something burn that they're wanting to talk about. You just have to find it. And, you know, conversationally, it's, it's true. I mean, if you want to you be a great conversationalist, don't jump into a conversation talking about what you want to talk about. Don't ask questions to find out, what, to talk, find out topics that you want to hear about. Try to figure out what they want to talk about. Ask questions about what they want to talk about. You'll have a great conversation. Now everybody, because everybody has something burning inside they want to talk about. Everybody's got something on their mind, on their heart, something spinning around inside of them. Somebody they love. Something they're passionate about. Something they're ticked off about. Something they've been hurt by. 
something that's mo- driving them along through their day, something spinning around in their mind and their heart. Everybody has something they're wanting to talk about, something that drives them, something that this energy inside of them. This morning, uh, I want to look, look at a number of different figures throughout um, history, throughout the biblical story, uh, people who are driven by something. People who, are, who had something on their mind, had something on their heart. I want to look at people uh, just like you and me. People that they had past, they had past mistakes they had made. They had, they had um, they've been give, given abilities or gifts in this world, passions in this world. People, people have places of pain or people have places of anger. And I want to look at how God is able, how God's able to meet them in their story, meet them in their, their, their particular story. And, in, and use that and invite that into his story, and particularly his mission, where, how he's reaching out to people. And he can bring their particular story into his story of mission in this world. And so we're going we're gonna to jump through a number of figures. You know, a lot of times we just choose one scripture and kind of stay there the whole time. We're going to look at a bunch of different ones this morning, just so you're prepared. If you want to try and follow along, you're welcome to, but it might be just as easy just to, to read the text on the screen above. Up to you. But we're going to, the first one we're going to look at is Genesis uh, 12. This is where we're going to start. Last week, we talked about this guy in Genesis 12. We talked about this guy, Abram. And um, Abram, we, we talked about kind of where he was at in life and how uh, he was in some way, we, we talked about how he's lost. He's worshiping idols. He, uh, and he had this particular, he had a lot of pain around family. Um, he, his brother had died. He's taking care of his nephew. Possibly his dad had died. He had left his homeland. So he left his country, his kind of home country, and he's living as a foreigner, an immigrant. And, uh, and, and also this big thing that he and his wife were struggling with, infertility, which was a huge deal for them in that day. Um, still a big deal today, and particularly back then. Huge deal. And, um, and so uh, he had this pain, uh, this pain around family, and, uh, and God shows up. And he, and he comes seeking out Abram. Abram didn't do anything to earn it. God comes and seeks out Abram. And he comes looking for him to rescue him. And he says, Abram, we're going on a road trip. Get your sunflower seeds and your Red Bull ready. We're going on a road trip. And he says, more than that, Abram, I, I want to uh, I want to give you descendants. I want to give you a people. I want to give you a family, Abram. And he takes him out under a night sky and he says, Abram, you're going to have more uh, descendants than the stars in the night sky. And if I was Abram, I'd be thinking, not all at once, please. That would be a reality TV show. No, no, one at a time. But um, no, God says, I'm going to give you a people. I'm going to give you uh, descendants. Uh, and he says, more, even that, the, more than that, Abram, not only am I going to give you a descendants, but... I'm going to do something through your people. Listen to this, Genesis 12, 3. He says, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abram, I'm going to give you people, I'm going to give you descendants, and I'm going to, I'm going to bless. My, my mission to bless all the earth, I'm going to do it through you and your people. I could do it on my own, Abram, but I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to use you and your people in this. And so we see we see Abram, and God meets Abram in his place of greatest pain and says, Abram, I want to meet you in your place of greatest pain, and I want to use it to be a place of great blessing in this world. I want to continue my mission through you. That's Abram. I want to fast forward now 500 years, Exodus 3. We come to another figure. This guy's name is Moses. And Moses, a little about Moses. Moses grew up 
Uh, he was an Israelite by ethnicity, and he grew up in the nation of Egypt. And so he's in a very privileged position. So Moses grows up as this affluent, privileged Israelite in Egypt, while all the other Israelites, all his other countrymen, are living as slaves in Egypt. And so, he, it, I mean, it's the situation. He's in this hometown, this hometown situation. He's, and he, really, he looks around, he's like, this is not just. This is not the right way. This is not how life should be lived. And he gets angry about it. And Moses ends up killing an Egyptian and fleeing to the desert to tend sheep and goats. So he burns the bridges, gets angry, burns the bridges, and then flees uh, his hometown. Some of you think back, uh, and you, you, you've had times where you've burned bridges, but compared to Moses, I mean, getting in an argument with your parents about politics and then running off to college, at least you didn't end up in the desert with goats. Yeah, so, so here's Moses. He's, he's just burnt things down in his home, and he's now, he's living out in the desert, and God appears to Moses in uh, this, this bush that's on fire, um, and God speaks to Moses, and listen to what God says to him. Uh, Exodus 3.10, he says, Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. That's, that's the situation, he, that's hometown. I'm sending you back to your home to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God says, I've got some rescuing work to do. There's some people who are enslaved. They're trapped, and I want to see them set free. And God says, I could do it on my own, but Moses, I want to do it through you. I want to do, complete my mission through you. I want to send you back to your hometown, send you back to this place of anger. But Moses, I want to take your anger at that injustice, and I want to turn your anger into a place of great action. Moses, I want to I send you back to this place where the bur- bridges have burned, where your anger exploded. I want to take that anger about injustice. I want to turn it into great action for my kingdom. He says, Moses, I want to continue. I want to continue my mission through you. Yeah, there's a pattern in Scripture. I want to look next at a guy named Isaiah. Uh, we're going to look at Isaiah 6. And uh, Isaiah has this, he's in the temple one day, this is like a thousand years after Moses, in Jerusalem, in the temple, and he has this encounter with the presence of God. And when I say Isaiah encounters the presence of God, I don't mean he kind of his imagination, he kind of the God of his imagination. I mean the living God. The God who, who you, when you're standing on top of a mountain in the Cascades, you feel his presence. You're out in the ocean during a lightning storm. Or the God, when, when, you're, when your child is born, or when you're sitting beside a deathbed, there's a holy presence. The God, of, the living God of the universe, Isaiah encounters him. And Isaiah says, I'm sunk. He, re, he, he encounters this holy, sacred presence of God, and he, said, and he realizes the mistakes, the way he's messed up his life. He says, I'm sunk. And particularly, he says this. He says, woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Unclean lips. Isaiah, the dirty mouth prophet. And I don't think Isaiah was saying, oh, I've used four-letter words in my past. I think Isaiah was a man who had power with his words. He'd been given ability with his words, and he used it for harm. Unclean lips. I imagine Isaiah to be the kind of guy who, who he said something to you in third grade and you still carry the scars with you. He was powerful with his words. Words for harm. And God meets Isaiah and, it, they do, and God does this like symbolic ritual with Isaiah and he takes this burning hot coal and he takes it uh, and puts it on Isaiah's lips. Ow! 
I got Tabasco sauce in my eye once. I, this would be worse. And he, so he puts, and it, but it's this image of like cleansing, forgiving, cleaning. And God says, um, he, God does this to, to, to assure Isaiah, you are forgiven. You are cleansed. I forgive you, Isaiah. And then he says to Isaiah, I have a task. I have something for you to do. And listen to what he says. He says, go and tell. Isaiah 6, 9, go and tell. Isaiah had power He had this ability, this gift, power with words, and he used it, power to hurt. And God says, I want to take your power to hurt, and I want to turn it into power to heal. God has a mission in this world. God's up to something. And he meets Isaiah, and he meets, and he enters into Isaiah's story, and he forgives him, and he sets him on a new path, and he invites him into his mission. You see this pattern in the way God encounters people. God enters into their stories. Uh, Jumping forward 500 years, we get to the story of Jesus. And Jesus, the Son of God, is, uh, he's walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And there's a couple fishermen there, Simon and Andrew. And, uh, and I, what I would want to emphasize about Simon and Andrew is that Simon and Andrew, they're not royalty. They're not rich. They're not rabbis. They're not professors. They're not, in fact, if you said, Simon and Andrew, what are you? They would say, oh, we're just fishermen. We're just fishermen. We're only fishermen. We're just, I mean, we're nothing special. We're just fishermen. They're, they're just fishermen. And, God, and Jesus walks up to them, and this is what Jesus says. He says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Jesus is walking along, and Jesus says, uh, I have a mission. I have this mission in this world to, to search people out and to find them and to rescue them and to bring them home to me. Uh, and, and Jesus says, I don't want to do it alone. I'm not going to do it alone. I want to invite you into it. And I know, Simon and Andrew, you see yourselves as just fishermen. But I want to tell you, I want to make you into something else. Just fishers for men. I want to make you into life changers, life seekers. I want to give you a whole new identity. Simon and Andrew, you've lived in this small identity as just fishermen. I want to give you a huge identity as just people fishing for men and women for my kingdom. He gives them this new identity. God seeks people out. He meets them where they're at and he invites them into his mission to continue his mission through them. One more character. I want to talk about uh, the person of Paul. This is, um, this is uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection and Jesus uh, goes up into this dimension called heaven. We come to this character, Paul. Now, Paul, is, he's got an interesting story, very interesting past. Uh, Paul, uh, he began his career arresting Christians. So if you're here this morning, maybe, uh, maybe you, you came to church against your will. Maybe someone guilted you or dragged you here this morning. Paul is your guy. He went around arresting. He's like the patron saint of people getting dragged to church. So Paul, here's Paul. He's starting off his career uh, arrest, going around arresting Christians. And uh, one day, uh, Paul has this encounter with Jesus. Jesus has already gone up to this dimension in heaven, but somehow he appears to Paul. Uh, Jesus appears to Paul and he says, Paul, I want to give you a new, I know your career is about arresting Christians. Paul, I forgive you. I want to reveal the truth to you. And Paul, I want to give you a whole new career. Instead of arresting Christians, I want you to go seek people out to become Christians. Jesus has a sense of humor. 
he finds this man who is, who is arresting, and he says, I want to give you a job making people, inviting people to become Christians. And Paul, his whole life is turned around from the inside out. I mean, listen, later on, Paul writes this letter uh, to, to Jesus' followers in Corinth. Listen, listen to Paul's heart. I want to read from 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14. Listen to the heart of this guy. He says, for Christ's love compels us. It's the same Christ he used to arrest his followers. Now he says, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one, namely Jesus, died for all and therefore all died, died to sin and death and Satan. And then continue on verse 18. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Paul, Paul recognizes himself. He says, I've been reconciled to God through Jesus. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And you can hear Paul because he's experienced this for himself. And he has committed to, us, committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Here's Paul. Uh, he, and he, he starts off his career arresting Christians and he encounters the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus. And he ends up in a place where he says, I'm an ambassador for the love of Christ. I've been invited into the mission of God in this world. He's doing it through me. Isn't that crazy? Paul says. And what, and what drives Paul? What's the burning thing in Paul's soul? What motivates him along? What's the thing that he can't stop talking about? Do you catch that? The first thing we read, verse 14. Paul says, for Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels me. Paul says, I have, I have met the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus revealed on his, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. I've met the love of Jesus in my own personal experience. I, continue, I, can, I see the love of Jesus for those in this world. And Paul says, I'm captured by it. It compels me. It propels me. It energizes me. It drives me forward. Paul had an encounter with the love of Jesus that did not leave him the same. It changed him. And we see this throughout God's story with Abram and with Moses and Isaiah and Simon and Andrew and Paul. We see people and God says to them, God says, I want to meet you. I want to meet you in your pain or your anger. I want to meet you in your power to hurt. I want to meet you, I want to meet you even in your, in your I'm just a whatever. I want to meet you in your past mistakes. God says, I want to meet you there. I want to reveal my love to you there. I want to heal you. I want to, I want to give you a new vision for your life, a new identity. I want to forgive you. I want to give you a clean slate. And then I want to invite you to partner with me in my mission in this world. I'm up to something. Will you join me in it? I want to partner. I want to do it through you. God says to people, we see God. He, God says to people, he says, I want, to, I want to meet you in your place of greatest pain. I want to heal it and I want to turn it into the place of greatest blessing for those in this world. God says, God meets people and he says, I want to take that place of anger, this frustration about injustice or unfairness, and I want to take your place of greatest anger and I want to turn it into your place of greatest action. I want to use it for action, for good, for saving and rescuing in this world. God meets people and he says, I, I want to take, 
you've been given an ability, a power, a gift, and you've used it at times selfishly. You've used it to hurt. You've used it for yourself. But I want to take that. I want to forgive you. And I'll use that power, that gift that I've given you to heal, to get my message of love out. God meets people. And he says, he says I know you've been living this, this, this small identity. You, you say, I'm just a this or I'm only a that. And I don't want to leave you. I want to give you a new identity. I want to make you into a life changer, a kingdom builder. God meets people. God meets people and says, I know you have this past. I know, I know you've had this past, this burden that, that you felt like you could never get out under, but I want to take it off your shoulders. I want to, I want to assure you how you are completely 100% forgiven. Grace has done it. And I want to make you into a person that shares that with others, that gets the word out. This invitation of grace. God meets people and his love and he meets them, and he gives them, he heals them, he forgives, and he gives them a new identity, and then he invites them into his mission. He says, I want to do my mission through you. And it's almost, it's almost inevitable. Well, I would say it is inevitable. that the, these, 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 these folks that we looked at in this story, it wasn't, the mission wasn't some add-on task. It was this, you know, like Paul said, he said, I was compelled. I'm, Christ's love compels me. He doesn't say, I think I ought to do this or I should do this or it's the right thing to do. He says, Christ's love, I've encountered this love. And when you encounter this kind of love, it can't leave you the same. Paul says, it's changed me. Now it compels me, it propels me. It's like, it's, it just, it, it energizes me out. To encounter the love of Christ for us and for his world, we can't help but be propelled out into this world. Paul says, Christ's love compels me. Here, here at Hillcrest, we talk about um, one of the kind of the things in our DNA is uh, this idea that every Christian is a missionary. We, we want to push back against what we might call consumeristic Christianity. We believe that every Christian is a missionary, that every, we're meant to actively live this out seven days a week. We're meant to be intentional, invitational with sharing the love of God in word and in deed. Every Christian, every follower of Jesus is a missionary. Every follower of Jesus, we're, we're part of this mission of inviting people to know the living God, to be reconciled with God, and of, of seeing hearts and souls mended, of seeing families and relationships put back together, seeing this world healed. Every Christian is a missionary, intentionally, invitationally, sharing the love of God in word and deed. And it's kind of, it's just, it's part of who we are. It's part of how we tick around here. And one of my concerns is, uh, maybe if, you're, if you're newer to Hillcrest or this kind of language is newer to you, you hear this idea that every Christian is a missionary. And um, I think we, the, the, my concern is that, the, the, that you'd, we'd have negative reactions to that, that we'd feel, we'd feel uh, guilty about it, or we'd feel like a burden on us, or we'd feel um, fearful about it, or maybe even feel apathetic about it. Because, I mean, the, I think the, we hear every Christian is a missionary. Those are reactions we might have. I mean, we might just feel like apathetic. We might just feel that sounds, you know, you might just say that sounds nice, but I'm not feeling it, Tim. Missionary? I, I was reading um, through some old journal entries uh, from a couple years ago, and I came across this line um, that I wrote. I wrote, uh, I used to want to change the world, but now I just want to get a good night's sleep. 
This, this apathy can set in at times. Oh, I just, I don't feel it right now. And we can, my goal is not to make you feel bad about that. Or guilt. I mean, it can feel like a burden. Like, like I'm, you're, you're getting all these shoulds drop on you. I should do it. I ought to do it. I feel guilty. I'm not doing it. Or you can feel fearful about it. You know, you hear every Christian is a missionary. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is, if he asked me to do something embarrassing or socially awkward, I'm out. I'm done. No. You know? I hear, when I talk about every Christian's missionary, I have no desire to make you feel bad about feeling apathetic or make you feel guilty like you should do more or make you feel ratchet up your anxiety. None of those are my desire. I would tell you what my desire for you is. With all my heart, I desire you to have an encounter with the living God, an encounter with his love for you, that changes you, that does not leave you the same. I desire it. I desire for Christ, the love of God that revealed in Jesus, for you to meet it, know it not in your head, that you would know it here, and that it would not leave you the same. And that you would, in all the different activities of your life, that you'd be able to say, this love that I've encountered, I've met, it, it compels me. It drives me in my relationships, in my conversations, in my actions, in, my, in the way I relate to people, in the way I work, in the way I pray. I've met a love that has not left me the same. That is my desire for you. Not feeling bad about apathy or feeling guilty you're not doing enough or, or feeling fearful. I desire for you to know God's love personally for you in history seen in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and also in your own personal story, how he stepped into your story in relationships and people, in the right book or movie or quote at the right time that, to communicate how much he cares about you. That's what I want. I want that to be the center of who you are, that your instinct is to see yourself as a son or daughter of the king of the universe, purchased, saved, rescued, by the sacrifice of Jesus. You are captured by the love of Jesus for you. I, I desire that for you. Because here's the thing. When we, when you, when you experience that, when you meet Jesus, that it's inevitable that you get this energy outwards. It's inevitable. You can't, but if you meet Jesus and have his spirit put in you, it's inevitable that you feel this desire, this push to, the, to love people outside yourself. It's inevitable. And maybe sometimes it's just a flicker, or maybe it's just a pass, but it's always there. If you've met Jesus, uh, and I would think, I, my guess is we could tell stories in this room about ways that, uh, you know, like the people we read about, about places where you've had great pain in your life. And God has met you in it. And he's healed you. He's ministered to you. And now, when you see other people in similar suffering, in similar difficulty, you can't help but feel compassion for them. And you can't help but desire them to meet God in the way you did. It's inevitable. I bet, I bet there's stories in this room about, about ways that, um, that you had anger, at, uh, unfairness or injustice in this world, and how God has met you in that anger. And he's channeled it into action for his kingdom. 
And now you, you can't help but want to see people set free. It's just this, you met, you met God in that anger and, he, and he's channeled towards action. You say, yes. My guess is if we, we go around this room, you could talk about places that you have power. You've been particularly gifted. You've been given special ability. And at times in your life, you've used it to hurt or used it selfishly, or used it just for yourself. But now, now that you've met Jesus, you have this desire to use it redemptively. You have this impulse. I don't want to just use this for myself. I want to use it for others. If you meet Jesus, that happens. I bet we could go around this room, and, and there'd be some of us who, who before Jesus, you felt like you, were, you had this small, I'm just a fisherman. I'm just a this, or I'm only a that. But then you met Jesus, and he gave you a new name, a new identity as a life changer. And now when you meet other people living small stories, living small identities, you can't help but feel this impulse, oh, I want them to find, I want Jesus to meet them the way he met me. I bet if we, we talked around this room, there'd be places where, where you felt, before you knew Jesus, you just had this burden from your past, this guilt that weighed on you. And you met him, and it was just taken right off your shoulders. And it was like a, a new life was birthed in you. And it was amazing. And now you, you meet people, and, and you meet other people, and, they, they, and you can see your former self in them. They're being weighed down by these past mistakes. And you can't help but feel like, oh, I want them to know the freedom I found. Oh, I want them to know the forgiveness I found. Oh, I want them to know that. Because if we, when we encounter Jesus the love he has for us, the forgiveness, his ability to heal, his ability to give us a new identity. We can't, they, we can't but inevitably be propelled outwards with his love. It happens. And so over the coming weeks uh, in this series, Life on Mission, we're going to be talking about what do we do with this? How do we channel this, this energy, this impulse outwards into the world with God's love? We're going to talk about specifics. How do we pray well? How do we notice people? How do we see and feel the way God does? How do we think about our, the, the world, our, our, our school, our workplace, our neighbors? How do we think well? How do we, how do we act? How do we neighbor well? How do we enter into other people's worlds and meet them uh, where their needs are? And how do we speak well? How do we, how do we enter into good, healthy spiritual conversation and share about how Jesus has met us? We're going to talk about all these things, but the energy, the center, the fuel, the engine that drives it is our encounter with the love of God for us and for his world. And so this morning, this morning I want us to reflect on that. We're going to take some time uh, to move into communion. And uh, I want this time this morning in communion to be time to reflect on this. To reflect on God's love for you, the way, he, the way maybe he's healed you, or the way he's given you power and wants to channel it in a new way, the way he wants to take your anger and move into action, the way he's forgiven you. I want, us to, I want us to take some time and just spend some time with Jesus and see what he's, how he's trying to uh, bring his love, recall his love in our lives to us. Communion, of course, uh, it's, it's a very appropriate way um, to remember uh, the love God has shown us um, in the death of Jesus. The, the, bread, uh, the bread is a representation of, of Jesus' blood, body broken for us. And the, and the, the juice... Uh, represents um, his blood uh, poured out for us. And in fact, communion 
Uh, for the last uh, 2,000 years, a lot of Christians have called communion, they've called it Eucharist. Maybe you've heard that term before, Eucharist. It's from the Greek word Eucharistia, which means Thanksgiving. And it's this Thanksgiving meal that followers of Jesus have had over and over and over and over again. Thanksgiving. We come back because that's what our life starts with, what God has done for us. And then it's an outpouring of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for, uh, for what, how God has shown us his love in the cross. Thanksgiving for how God has shown up in our particular stories to show his love to us particularly. Thanksgiving for how God has invited us into his mission. Thanksgiving for the promise that the story's not over yet. And that Jesus one day will come, make all things new, and death itself will die. Thanksgiving, our Thanksgiving meal. So let's, as a church now, a church body, let's take some time in Thanksgiving, remembering, recalling, re-experiencing God's love for us in Jesus. Uh, This is what we're going to do. I'd like to invite the servers forward, if you're serving communion this morning. We'll have two stations up front, three stations in back. And uh, if you have gluten allergies, the, the station in the back in the center will be the gluten-free station. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to pray. Once I'm finished praying, uh, you can just come right up and form lines at any of the stations. And uh, when you get to the front of the line, just simply take, uh, take the bread. The, the server will offer you bread, and they'll say something like, Christ's body was broken for you, and you take the bread. And then the next person will say, Christ's blood was shed for you. You dip it in the cup, and you can eat of it before heading back to your seats. And if you want to say something, I mean, a lot of you, you don't have to say anything, but if they say Christ's body was broken for you, you can say amen. It means I agree. Yeah, amen, I agree. Yeah. Um, parents, uh, children are welcome at your discretion. And uh, yeah, if you're here this morning, and, um, and, uh, and you're, you're not a Christian, you're, you're like, hey, I'm just checking this out. I'm not a follower of Jesus. We are glad you're here. That is awesome. And please don't feel like, oh, you have to play along or pretend or something like that. It is totally comfortable just to observe this act that Christians have been doing for, for two millennia. Yeah, that's, that's totally okay. So uh, this is a way we Christians, um, we, we come back and again give thanks for what God has done for us in Jesus. Yeah, let's pray. Jesus, it is, a, it is a holy mystery. The idea of uh, the living God uh, becoming a child, the God who grants life, himself dying, uh, the God uh, who has died um, breaking forth from death to resurrection. Uh, it's a mystery that um, that isn't just in the past, but that even here now this morning, you're present by your spirit. Uh, and I, I again just feel the inade- inadequacy of words uh, to talk about this. Uh, we know it's true. We know you're here. Uh, I know that even this morning that you have um, things you want to say to us, ways that you want to assure us of your love, ways that you want to invite us into your mission. I... Um, I myself and together with my brothers and sisters, we just open our hearts up to you and say that uh, without you, we're sunk. Um, uh, but we, we need you, and we want you uh, to meet us again here this morning. And so, um, yeah, we open up to you now and pray this in your name. Amen.